Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, the DL Roundtable meets to discuss the subject of quality control in Linux. Do we have a good system or is the recent boot hole patch a vision of things to come? We'll check in with System76 and some re-imaging of hardware that you use every day. We take an outdoor adventure in gaming, our popular tips, tricks, and software picks. And have you heard about the DLN Gaming Night? where you, the community, can come and enjoy gaming with us live on August 30th, right after Destination Linux, live at 4 p.m. Eastern. Well, we've got more details about that event in the gaming session, plus so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Cue music, fancy scene graphics. And we retransition back into the show. Welcome to episode 186. You're tuned to the number one video-centric Linux podcast on the planet, Destination Linux. It's your source for great discussion and all things Linux and open source. My name is Noah. With me today are the nemesis of the Star Trek Lower Deck crew, Ryan and Michael. So before we find out what everyone's been up to this week, I have to ask, is Lower Deck the good one or the bad one? Lower Deck is a new animated series that has launched on CBS that looks absolutely terrible now i don't know if it is terrible (laughs) it just looks absolutely terrible it looks like a bunch of people trying to create humor by talking really fast and loud at each other and the premise of it's kind of cool it's like well who goes after you know the captain picard or kirk make their first interaction with the planet what happens after that well crew has to go there and then kind of set up you know, different peacekeeping and sign the contracts and do all of that stuff. And that's what the basis of the animated series is. It just looks horrific to me, but maybe it's good. You never know. Sounds great. So back to Linux. Uh, let's start <laughs> Let's start with uh, Ryan. What have you been up to this week? So mostly this week I've been packing because I'm going to be moving. and Again? Yes, again. <laughs> Are you moving I again? Need- well, you were bragging about your house and saying how nice it is. And look I at that. that. I mean, look at the walls. It's gorgeous. I need <laughs> just look at those walls. <laughs> I need something to compete walls. with a concrete bunker. <laughs> I don't you have know? any walls. <laughs> I needed I need something right. to compete okay. with. That. But so we're, you wanted we're, we're to upgrade from- and I'm gonna have a much bigger studio. It's gonna have sections in the in the area. Like this is a small room here where I can do the different teardown, soldering, filming, all of that stuff in the new place. So coming up in a few weeks, you'll see the beginnings of the new studio. That's awesome. And of course, you've picked out a spot to record Destination Linux, no doubt. I mean, that's the most important part, right? Right. Absolutely. All right. I've not been doing a whole lot. I've been busy uh, with work. We've got a couple of large work projects coming up, and so that's concentrating on my attention. Well, I can't talk about the, 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 the specifics of it, from a big picture, what I can tell you is that Linux was at the heart of it. What worth, what you find is that um, the world is very quickly moving towards the direction of services and device to access services. Very, we're we're very quickly moving away from individualized local running applications with local data. It's it's really becoming very non-existent. And so, for businesses that work with a particular piece of esoteric software. Or businesses that uh, the software that they have, they don't offer some sort of a cloud version. What's a big thing in business right now, what's a big thing in IT right now, is building that infrastructure and managing it on a flat monthly basis for people the way that they would expect um, a regular cloud service to be managed. So um, you take a piece of software that that business needs and then deliver it to them for the same cost effectiveness that they would get, you know, a a G Suite account, for example. Um, And a lot of businesses are very, very hip to moving that direction. And what we have found at AltaSpeed Technologies is that we can use things like LibVirt-D and other open source and a mix of proprietary software, things like ThinLinks, which is a um, a Raspberry Pi software that runs on the Raspberry Pi and can connect back to a, a, a libvirt server or a windows vm running on a libvirt server and allows that desktop to be streamed um, over to either raspberry pi or you can repurpose older machines and so you can go into a business and take a bunch of old machines that they have and turn them into thin clients that they can stream a windows 10 desktop and the advantage of running all of those things on top of libvirt is of course we have things like zfs snapshotting libvirt of course has its own snapshotting built in um and and so you combine you take freenas and put it on the back end for the file server storage and you layer your windows machines as as linux vms and we connect all of that together it allows us to uh, um to be able to to use Linux to mitigate a lot of the problems that you've had with Windows. So yeah, let me it's, ask it's, you: Is this something that you've noticed? I mean, obviously, this 
tech has been around and people have used it before, but is this something that COVID has kind of accelerated these use cases are you seeing in the industry? Oh, absolutely. So with this next uh, with this next deployment that we have um, this this next week coming up, the entire office is moving from three offices essentially into their own cloud. They're, it's all going to be hosted at their office. They're going to have they're going to own all of the infrastructure. All of their data will be on their servers, um, but it will be managed by us as if it were a cloud service. And so, as far as the users are aware, they open up their laptop, they open up a browser, they go to a thing, and everything else is taken care of for them. What's interesting about this is it's a way for businesses. I was actually part of launching this for a very large enterprise company that we had to do this at a scale of tens of thousands and of people who were now going to work from home instead of being in an office. But the savings that it created and the fact that you didn't have your employees, if the job, particular job could house it, didn't have to commute for some cases an hour, especially in Georgia, hour and a half in the morning, an hour and an hour and a half in the evening, we were seeing the productivity of the employees skyrocket. So we were getting tons of cost saving from real estate because those buildings are super expensive to rent and to obviously house with all of this equipment. In addition, we weren't having people be as exhausted and their productivity was going up because when they would start in the morning with their coffee, they would walk downstairs and start working immediately. And so the productivity went up as well. So there's a lot of benefits if your particular industry can be remote to companies. And I think it's cool seeing a lot of companies starting to look at this because this is something that we kind of felt, I guess it was about 10 years ago, we were pioneering. And now we're seeing a lot of companies kind of forced into looking at their business differently. I I don't, I I think, and this is an important thing, I think, um, not to take away from from the rest of the the Linux discussion that we have lined up, but I think this is an important thing for people to kind of wrap their heads around is learning how to leverage technology to get the most out of it and then understanding the privacy and security implications that come along with that, right? Yep, absolutely. Michael, what's been going on in your world? Well, I've been doing quite a lot of like getting some new equipment to improve my setup for my studio as well. And I've got a new camera, a new microphone, and a new audio interface, none of which are connected right now for this episode. They're all still in the box. Uh, No, the camera's not in the box. Everything else is in the box. Yes. Tell us about it. So tell us about it. So you you, you bought a new studio. What's in it? What uh, what audio face did did you pick out? Uh, I get it's it's a Zeti. Uh, 10 FX or something like that. It's uh, it's it. Like, what the reason I got it is because I was actually super excited about it because I saw a couple of resp- one of the patrons, uh, Jacob, on uh, he told me about it, and I also saw some people talking about it on Reddit that it has out of the box support for Linux. Uh, there, it's okay. not. It's not like uh, how do you perp- how do you spell Zeddy? It's Z E D I or Z E D I Z E. Anyway, uh, I got you. So 10X, you said. Yes, it's 10 FX or okay. something like that, and it's FX, okay. it's it has a built-in FX system, and it has like four channels and uh, four input, four. Oh, po- and it's, okay. So, and it's a so mixer audio is, face combined thing. Yeah. So this is what it is. This is actually a hardware mixer. It's an Allen and Heath hardware mixer That's it. that um that has a built-in audio USB DAC. So what what you're gonna do, Michael, is you're gonna you're gonna connect a an analog microphone of sorts. Mm-hmm. Have you picked out a microphone to use? Yeah, I've got uh, a couple. I, I I wanted to try out like a, a condenser and a dynamic. So I have a dynamic that's a pod mic and a AT twenty twenty that so is Rode a pod condenser. Mic? Yes, Rod. AT2020, and that's okay. And so that's an Audio Technica right. uh, condenser microphone. Okay, very cool. And I and I the the mixer it looks like it it looks like it has four channels in, four channels out. So you actually should be able to do some pretty cool things with this, right? Mm-hmm. If you connect this into um, something either uh, Audacity or Reaper or or even get Jack uh, up and running, you'll be able to uh, to send individual channels to 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 one of those four mix buses. This will yeah. be a really cool piece of equipment. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to try it out and. It actually says that it works best on Jack. It can be, it does work on with Pulse Audio out of the box, but I, it, they say that the best uh, functionality is through Jack. So I'll probably play with that as well. And uh, yeah, so I am super excited about the the mixer audio fa- interface and everything else. Uh, this the thing is, I haven't set them up because the audio interface didn't even come until yesterday, so I didn't have time to do yeah. it. But I am yeah, well, super that's- excited. 
That that is that's really cool, man. And the the fact that you can uh, the fact that you can take some of these things and these things that become available on the internet that you could just order off of Amazon.com and it shows up. You know, Allen and Heath is a very reputable brand, um, right up there with with Mackey and and some of the other ones. And so mm-hmm. they uh, they they manufacture this stuff, and it's great that all of these are kind of standardizing on a standard USB interface style because that means that anybody can just pick it up and play with it. Anybody can just have an idea and do that, and it lets content production uh, available to anybody. And a lot of companies are out there doing that now, right? They all want to make things available to people. DigitalOcean is doing the same thing. It lets you take an idea, something that you just happened into, like, hey, I wanted to play with Kodi MD. I just wanted to try that out. And you you don't have the infrastructure. Maybe you're not a Linux person. Maybe you primarily work in a Windows environment. Maybe you're on Mac. Maybe you don't even have a computer. Maybe you just do everything on your phone. Well, with DigitalOcean and their intuitive dashboard and console access right to the server, it means that you're going to be able to go over to DigitalOcean.com, spin up a droplet. You'll be able to use their web interface to manage that server. It'll give you the little dashboard or the, uh, the console that pops up right there in your web browser so you can execute all the commands from one of their uh, many cloud agnostic tutorials. And so uh, you don't have to have this server running on DigitalOcean to get started, or if you start on DigitalOcean, you might want to move it back over to your house. DigitalOcean will play with it either way, but when you're ready to scale, DigitalOcean is ready to scale because they don't just have servers. They have virtual private networking built right in, so you can have your private cloud or your private infrastructure running on the cloud and a public side facing only open to your customers. They also have the ability to manage access control and support for teams, so if you work with teams and need to manage a number of servers or want to Manage servers for clients works really well to use their team support and their built-in DNS functionality to get uh, all of the controls that you need to manage right there on DigitalOcean.com. And right now, you're going to be able to get started uh, as a thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of, of Destination Linux and and to show your support for it. You can go to do.co/dln. They'll give you a hundred dollars credit that you can use uh, for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even a monster droplet for a couple of months. Again, you can get started with DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN and a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. In the community feedback this week, Benito writes us to say, Hi, DL crew. I've been a longtime fan of the show. It keeps on getting better every week. Thank you for quenching my weekly thirst of all things Linux. Referring to episode 184, where you talked about a bug reporting tool that makes it easy for users and developers to submit and analyze bugs, the later versions of Linux Mint includes a tool in the main menu called System Reports, which helps make submitting system info and crash reports easier for the user. I thought this might be a start for a standard bug reporting app across Linux ecosystem. Maybe someone could take this tool in something that is, uh, you know, go into the, the step in the right direction. Greetings from Namibia, uh, Benito. So thanks very much, Benito, for sending this feedback. I think that there's a lot of potential for having a universal tool like this. I haven't personally tried out the system reports, though, so I'm, I'm very interested in checking that out. Uh, but have either one of y'all check, tried this out or... You know, what are your I thoughts? Think one of the, I think one of the things, just big picture, I think that needs to be addressed in the community at large is just finding a tool that we all agree on. I think a lot of mm-hmm. times one particular company or one entity will come out with a tool and then um, it there there gets to be a little bit of this not invented here syndrome and then uh, people fight about my brand versus your brand and then we don't make any meaningful progress. So I think... Right. Um, as I think we should, I think we should be critically evaluating tools. I think any tool that's even up for critical evaluation should be an open source tool. But then once that open source tool is uh, is is available, then we should evaluate all of those options, decide on one, and then kind of move forward. And it would, you know, really, if you think about it, this is kind of where the this is what the Linux Foundation should be doing. Right? There should be a body. Right that is publishing a best practices. It's not the end all. You have to do this. If you have a different scenario, a choice is good. Make a different choice. But there should be one body of standards coming out and saying, here are some good ideas of the way to do this thing. And 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 so this is what we recommend system D for startup. We recommend this. And as part of that would be, we recommend your project use X for bug reporting. I really like that idea. And that would be something neat for the Linux Foundation to handle. By the way, I've only been in Linux for years. What does actually the Linux Foundation handle? First and foremost, they pay for Linus's salary, which mm-hmm. means that we continue to get 
uh, kernel updates. If it wasn't for the Linux Foundation, um, Linux would not have. You need somebody to go to the IBMs and the Red Hats and the whoever of the world and say that we are at, we are we are an organization that have the funding and the competency to manage a project of this scale that you can use for Amazon and eBay and 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 so on and so forth. So the, I don't want to underplay the Linux Foundation's role. I mean, they they do some really fantastic things, but it would just it would be nice to have some of the more meat and potatoes things. Here is the desktop environment. For for example, that um, that we think has the best chance at at, at at moving forward, and so we all kind of look and say, "Well, this is the standard." If you have a reason to go away from the standard, fine, but it'd be nice to have a a, a guiding suggestion. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the the idea of having some kind of um, guidelines that people could agree on would be fantastic. I think the as far as the bug reporting tools and the in, in, in the tools for like tech support and stuff we talked about last week, I think that there's a lot of potential. And I agree completely that we need to have it where it's a consensus to be, pick one tool, use that tool. I don't know how, what system reports is using on the back end, uh, but the only two bug reports that I know of are Apport and Abert. And I'm, I'm very curious to check out system reports, see what it's using in the back end. But having a front end way for people to easily send those bug reports is very important. And I think that as soon as that's done, we're going to have oh, there'll be a lot more potential for people to be able to fix things and see what's wrong and that kind of stuff. So hopefully we can, as a community, do that. And I think that the Linux Foundation being a part of that is a really cool idea. So I think that the Linux Foundation is very important, but it is also worth noting that they don't control the Linux kernel. They do pay the salaries for developers in Linux kernel, but they don't control what the what the kernel does. But that's what you want, though. That's what we want. Right. I'm saying I'm saying for people who are well, like curious about like just I just wanted yeah, to put that out. The there, reason really. I asked the question is I don't hear about them very much at all. Like nobody brings them up in what work they're doing or other things. And I and it's enough to pay Linus's salary. I, I get that. I just didn't know if that was kind of their role was supposed to be getting in there and setting standards, or is that something we're just dreaming up as that no that no that's that wouldn't be a dream if if there was somebody that was going to go forward and say here's what a a standard for linux distributions or a suggestion i mean that is something that the linux foundation would be well within their purview to do i would say interesting well thanks benito for an awesome email you got an interesting discussion going on and i learned something about linux foundation we love hearing from our worldwide community we have many ways for your voice to be heard you can send us a short email or video and if it's composed right, it may get incorporated to the show. A couple tips, keep it short, concise, to the point. Uh, send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. Make fun of Michael, compliment me and Noah. You have a better chance of getting in. That's absolutely true. I wish that wasn't true, but it's it's totally true. It's kind of true. <laughs> I pick them. <laughs> so I was really excited about this news story that came out about System76 reimagining the keyboard. So they are teasing once again that they are releasing their own keyboard lineup. And I say once again because they had kind of mentioned it was something they were looking into before, but now it seems like it's really ramping up. Now they have three goals for this. They want to redesign the keyboard itself, maximize your efficiency when using it, and empower you to fully customize your keyboard to your whims. And what do we love about Linux and the Linux desktop? the customization. So that's got to sing to a lot of people's hearts, certainly sings to mine. They promise to be working on a keyboard you will absolutely fall in love with, which is a big promise because keyboards are one of those things where everybody has a different opinion on what makes a good keyboard. Some people want them loud. They want them quiet. They want a lot of depression in the keys. They want it to be, there's just a billion different things. They want RGBs. They don't, but Hey, they system 76 has made a lot of beautiful things like the Thelio that I think the majority of people fall in love with. So if anyone can do it, they can. Some of the things they're going to include Mm -hmm. three key sizes in the design of the keyboard. And they give those sizes one U, 1.5 U and two U for your shift keys. They're going to break the space bar into two, two U keys instead of one long key, which shortens the real estate on the board, but also allows you to remap one of those keys if you want to be something other than a space bar. Because if you're typing on your keyboard, your thumb is a pretty powerful, you know, finger on your hand for most people. Michael has very weak thumbs, but most people have strong thumbs. And, uh, you know, that, that's what? something where you can set up a macro on and uh, do something different with it other than having just a space bar. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to reveal that to the public. My I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. weak thumb syndrome. My, my weak um, thumb syndrome. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I do. It does really. It's really nice. So I can have a, a, a smaller key so I can use my weak thumb to hit the key. So that's fantastic. Thanks, System 76. You're welcome. 
they're also going to work in harmony perfectly, or the keyboard's going to work in harmony perfectly with Pop! OS tiling, their auto tiling, which this just sings to me personally in a big way because I love their tiling tool and the ability to basically set this up and utilize the software that they're building that will work in Linux to remap your keys. The biggest announcement of it yet is how many times you buy a keyboard, but you can't control the RGBs in Linux. You can't control some of the software in Linux. You got to go find some somebody who's hopefully hacked it and hope that that software is current. But no, you're going to have something that's made for Linux where you can do the key customization. You could do the macros. You can do all of the tiling key shortcuts that you want right from this keyboard. And we don't have word yet on what the cost is going to be or exactly when this is going to launch. But I guarantee you, I will be buying one unless they price it at like $999 like an Apple product. But System76 doesn't do that. So I can't wait. I'm really excited about this yeah. because I'm a keyboard junkie, in fact. I've switched keyboards recently to try something new, which is the Rocat Vulcan 121, which is a cool keyboard. But again, you got to use some third-party application in order to get the software to work. I am, uh, I'm like you, Ryan, I'm really particularly excited about the open source embedded controller. They've released the code up on GitHub. It looks like they've been working on this for a little over a year. Um, it's really exciting because not only is there a usability thing, and System76 really has been doing that for years. They've been opening laptops up and, and soldering different things to make it work with Linux. This is kind of a step above that because they're the embedded controller firmware is open source. There's also a security aspect to this too, right? We input passwords and all sorts of secure information on keyboards that are paired with Bluetooth and and uh, some have open RF standards that that have uh, you know attacks that can be used against them. And so uh, the, the the firmware controller that runs on the keyboard um, is actually an Good important point. part of, of of considering security. And and they're making this open and available to everybody. Yeah, and that's the that's thing awesome. you can trust from System76, just like their Thelio computer. They actually have the documents out there on the design specs and everything out, completely open source. Same thing with this keyboard. It's going to be completely open source. I mean, they actually live by the ma mantra that they put out there, that they're an open source community, and they make sure everything they do is open source. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I, I think there's a lot of potential for this. And I, when I first announced it, I was like, okay, that's cool that they're making their own keyboard. And then now that they have all these different things that they're saying about like having it, you know, be, be built in to have this uh, separate firmware and having a software for editing the the, the actual keyboard. Because I mean, there, there's a lot of times where I look at the keyboard, like the keyboard I have is great. Overall, I like it, but the fact that I can't change the colors with a Linux piece of software, I have to boot it, boot Windows. I just accept the color it is. It's like that's pretty annoying. And there probably is something I haven't found yet that probably exists. But just to have it built into the the keyboard and having that, you know, by default is a fantastic thing. And also because of my weak thumbs, making it split <laughs> is really nice. I appreciate that. I'm so sorry for announcing that. That's something you should have told people in your own time when you were ready. Yeah, but. for sure. Our security advisory this week is brought to you by Bitwarden, and the advisory is to make sure you update your Android device. That is, if your device actually has the update available for this big issue, which is Snapdragon has a chip flaw in it, which has put more than a billion Android phones at risk of data theft. And while they have put some mitigations in place, one of the problems that has continued to exist in the Android ecosystem, creating major Security flaws is the fact that the telecoms themselves and the device manufacturers decide when you actually will receive that update, if you'll ever receive the update at all. Now, the amount of mitigations or vulnerabilities, I should say here, are over 400 vulnerabilities that researchers have found in the phones. And the attackers can monitor your location. They can listen to your audio in real time. They can exfiltrate your photos and videos. They can run other exploits on your device through this. So it's a rather big deal to make sure that you get this update here. Again, if your company has provided it, hopefully there will be some ways that they can get this in mass rolled out to Android. But if you've ever looked at the statistics of Android and what operating system and version and patches people get, it is literally like a just plethora across the board, uh, big problem out there for manufacturers and the Google ecosystem, which they were going to resolve at some point in the Google App Store. They were going to use certain vulnerabilities. And maybe this will be the first time they push some of their vulnerability or patches out there for these vulnerabilities out through the Google Store. Maybe they'll utilize it there. 
this is kind of a big deal for all the Android users out there and kind of a big deal for why maybe you should be running a Pine phone at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting situation that they're dealing with because like I, I don't really, I don't, I have an Android phone and I don't really like the fact that I have an Android phone because of these types of things. Like the updates, I have a fairly new one, but it's not the latest one. So I don't know if I'm going to get the upgrade or not because I don't know if the vendor is going to send it to me or not because they, they, they basically say, you know, some of them agree to two years updates. Some of them don't even agree to that. So who knows really? But uh, it was actually kind of funny because after conversations with Ryan about, you know, whether we use, you know, the Android, Android and I.O. and iOS, both of those are like neither option is good. And then, you know, you just kind of pick the lesser evil sort of thing. And then, yes, then that is the lesser evil. And then in the conversation about like which one is the better thing to get uh, for people who are definitely not, you know, tech savvy or whatever. It's, it's a big deal. And the I think it's one of the biggest security vulnerabilities in Android is their lack of a consistent update policy. That's part of being this open system, but they have not solved that yet. And until they do, it's going to be a major issue. But you know who always stays up to date on security issues and always stays patched and is something you can totally trust? Because it's what we all personally use, Bitwarden. Oh, Bitwarden is the best password manager out there. And I say that with full honesty because it's what we used before we ever even had them join us as a partner. It's who we personally all trusted to have our passwords managed by. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way to store your passwords for individuals, teams, and businesses out there. It's a great way you can also use to share sensitive information. You can put notes and other things in there about the different sites that you're visiting. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started for free. But get this, they're such an awesome company. They're 100% open source, by the way. So you can go audit the code that they also pay for third-party auditors to come in just in case the open source community just isn't looking at their code deep enough so that they can look at the code as well and make sure all the security vulnerabilities that may be there are patched and fixed. So it's a company that you can trust and you can join for a $10 for $10. You can get their premium account and that's going to give you a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step authentication through things like YubiKey, which is what I utilize and love as an additional security step, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, Priority Customer Service, And I've heard some people say, yeah, but I don't want anything in the cloud. Well, guess what? With Bitwarden, you can host it yourself. You can have your own host of Bitwarden if you want and set all of that up and do it the way, have your passwords managed the way you want them managed. That's why we love Bitwarden so much. They fit all the criteria and all the standards you expect from an open source uh, company. And we want to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. This week, we're tackling quality control, quality control and software quality control, defining it as supportability, performance and usability is what we're talking about this week on Destination Linux. And you start with this idea that there is a lot of hardware out there and and more and more companies are making it and trying to make it work for Linux. And so they're getting involved in the process of saying, how do we find out how to make our, our hardware work with Linux? And Lenovo is doing this, Dell is doing this, System76 has been doing it for years. And of course, there's a plethora of ODM manufacturers that are making hardware and then being rebranded and sold. At the same time, you have a number of different software engineers that are writing software and making really good quality software, but then trying to decide how to get that software out to their end users. Because in between the people that are making the hardware, the people that are making the software are the people that are making the distros. And each one of those people are making different decisions. And so every time something changes and a new hardware platform comes out, we're discussing right now the USB 4 spec and how that's going to play with Thunderbolt. And is Intel going to push Thunderbolt more? Are they going to push uh, USB 4 more when that standard becomes out? And we look at what happened in the past with with FireWire and stuff, and we're we're kind of seeing a path evolve. And then on on the distro side, we are watching Red Hat do their thing with Fedora and push it into more and more of a workstation and desktop platform. And we're watching Canonical focus and kind of hone uh, with industry standards rather than trying to make their own desktop environment. And so there's all these individual decisions that are being made and release cadences. Every company has their own beliefs. Some people believe that rolling 
right up to the bleeding edge is the best way to get the highest quality software. Other people say, well, no, we have to have kind of a staged approach and we all have to skate towards a common goal and their advantages and disadvantages with all of that. And so what you're left with as a user is you can go to a Best Buy and you could purchase a computer, but depending on who made that computer, when that computer was made, when in the release cycle that computer was made, um, what software was available at the time, what the release cadence of those software projects were at the time that that LTS or that distro came out, all affects the quality and the experience that you get as an end user. And part of that is, is, is core to open source and trying things. And this one works better than that. And this works for these people and that works for that people. And, and, and you wind up with this concophony of, of different ideas. And so what we want to talk about this week and the discussion that we want kind of want to unpack, and we would like to invite you into that discussion. That's an important part of this is how can we begin to fix this problem? And I I guess I want to start with Michael and and Ryan and kind of bring them in, but how can we fix this problem? This is something that I struggled with as a Linux user since the day I started using Linux. I installed my very first version of Red Hat and I had trouble getting all of my hardware to work. And I didn't have a place to go to say, hey, this hardware doesn't work. And even if I had had a place to go to say that the hardware didn't work, there was no guarantee that NEC, the company who manufactured my computer at the time, was going to go look at that feedback and do something about it. And this is a discussion that um, we've been having behind the scenes for a while to try Mm -hmm. to to try to talk about how can we fix this problem. So I guess, Ryan, what have you seen as, as some of the issues that have come up and that you've seen over the years? And you say you've been a Linux user for, for four years, but in that four years, we've had a lot of changes. What are some of the things that you've seen? I mean, I've gone on a ton of rants about, you know, obviously hardware compatibility and issues that go along with that. But I, to bring it more current, I mean, look at what happened recently with the boot hole vulnerability patch. I don't have all of the specifics or knowledge to understand all the details behind this, but essentially a bunch of companies that we all love and trust and and generally do a fantastic, amazing job for the community, Ubuntu, Debian, SUSE, Red Hat, all rolled out a patch to fix a vulnerability that ended up leaving a bunch of people, including in the enterprise, unable to boot their systems. And so you kind of go back and you start questioning what's the quality control steps and processes that we all have in place? Was this just a simple thing of, well, normally when somebody releases a patch from this particular company, it's really good and we all trust it and we just rolled it out? Or is there somebody in the background actually testing this on a bunch of different hardware and things to make sure that this type of thing when it rolls out doesn't happen? Because it almost felt like a Windows moment when I was reading the articles and things about it. This is the stuff I'd usually put in the show and go, hey, here's a good point and we can have some fun and make fun of Microsoft ignoring quality control and rolling things out that delete people's data and all that other stuff. But it was Linux this time. And it really got me thinking, what is the quality control that we have in place for Linux? Um, Michael, we've talked about this, me and you as well, behind the scenes. You have some examples of where this has come up. Yeah, I mean, boot hole is actually a really interesting problem because this came out of nowhere, really. So they they thought it was fixed, and then all of a sudden it wasn't fixed, you know, because it created this side effect thing. And the interesting thing about it is that it was kind of like a, a lack of coordination on the part of the people involved in trying to decide, like, how to do this. And there were situations of, like, this involved Microsoft because of their... Uh, the certificate authority for secure boot is Microsoft. So they decided to kill the signatures for the uh, all the things that were problematic with that vulnerability, which is an understandable decision, but it somehow wasn't coordinated with the distros and stuff like that to make it where it, when they did roll out the new versions that it would be able to do the upgrade on the firmware and all that stuff. So that's what created the problem where they solved the vulnerabilities but didn't solve the update mechanism with the firmware and the security, uh, the certificate authority changing that kind of stuff. So wait, we use Microsoft as our certificate authority for booting ev- our systems. Ev- everyone who uses Secure Boot uses Microsoft. They're the only CA that I know of for Secure Boot. Wow. So that's, there is uh, a way there. Just to be clear, there is a way to enroll other certificates into Secure Boot. Right. Uh, that's not. Yeah, my yeah. understanding is that my understanding is if you buy a PC, 
and it came pre-installed with Windows, then Windows, then Microsoft is a certificate authority for, for that secure boot. And you can either wipe the key out or enroll an additional key. Right. But you can you can change the certificate authority in secure boot, can't you? You can. I just don't think I don't know if there is actually another authority for that thing. I think you can do self-sign, but I don't think that would be successful. And especially when people who have existing well, hardware they want that you, to work in order, and the only like by default the secure boot uh, CA is Microsoft for that those new hardware. I, I, and again, I am I am by no means a secure boot expert. I know enough to get yeah, to, to know how to get Linux to boot on the system, but. My understanding, based on the verbiage that's in the UEFI on most systems, it, it doesn't say anything about like verify, you know, C8 certainly doesn't seem to connect to the internet. So I believe when you boot into that UEFI, UEFI interface and you boot off of a, a, a new distro and you click on enroll key and then it has your reboot and then it gives you four numbers, you re put the four numbers in, press enter. I believe that process is enrolling the key into the UEFI and saying, okay, this is now trusted mm -hmm. to boot. I, and I don't think that checks. I think, and I think Canonical probably signed the secure boot key for, for Ubuntu. Right. Not they, Microsoft. They, they did, but also the verification is something. There, I, I don't know it enough about this particular problem to really like ex express like the actual intricacies thing. This is what I had. I had conversations with people who were developers of distros about this. So it was just like they, that's how they told me how it worked. I just, mean, either way, it broke. So yeah. whether there was a way to sign it yourself or sure. do something else, that's not being done at some level. Microsoft has the control. And yeah. they they changed something not in a negative not trying they they weren't trying to be nefarious right. here but they changed something that broke all the other systems from booting right the thing that they did is an understandable decision it was just like not coordinated with everyone else which created the secondary problem of they all thought it was fixed but because this happened it broke the fix so that's what created this issue that, that that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it because of this is is basically a quality control quality assurance type of thing that that's that one of those things that should be coordinated to find out what they're going to do and if they were not op like upfront about what they were going to do that creates another problem so we don't know exactly what caused it but there's other things that relate to the quality control aspect for example like we always we often see these new projects or these projects issuing news about an update and that update containing something about like we have this new uh, feature that supports this new hardware we have high dpi support we have uh, new uh, new support for this particular keyboard or whatever like you'll see this tiny snippet and connected to it saying thanks to this one person who purchased this laptop and is now doing the testing for this laptop like the high dpi stuff in some uh, some software is not supported because there's no one in the project who works on it who has soft has hardware to support it to test and do stuff like that so it it just it's an interesting issue to have as a a kind of whole ecosystem because with just one person having the testing then you see improvements being made for that thing and it just seems like that should be another aspect of quality control that we as a community try to do something about. I don't know. Well, I mean, is there no platform out there in which, you know, and, and I think the answer is no, because we had conversations months ago with Popey about this, and he was interested in seeing if we could leverage the destination Linux community in some way back then. And obviously we have tens of thousands of people from all around the world with different hardware for testing, but there, there seems to be no platform. I guess I'm answering my question myself out there <laughs> where developers yeah. can go and say, Hey, I want a bunch of people with AMD computers to go test my distro. I want a bunch of people with high DPI monitors to test this for me and provide some reporting and information back to them to let them know if it's working, what issues they're coming across and that type of stuff. It seems like, Maybe something yeah, I mean, to look at maybe solving. I mean, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, I don't think there is a platform like that, like to have a place where people who are developers can go find people who want to be testers and testers go to a place that wants to do that. I think that'd be really cool. And I, I think that'd be something we could actually somehow figure out a way for the community are to you you know, do it. You know, I think, I, think the way, I, mean, I think the way we could do it with the community. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the way to do that would be to get a forum post started and just say, hey, come over to the DLN forums, help us understand and get your head wrapped around how we could solve this problem. Um, here are some of the ideas that we have. And I'm sure as we kind of think about it and put it down, we're going to come up with some some hardline things that we're going to say, hey, for example, we've got to use open source software to do this. It's got to be brand agnostic. It can't be tied to one particular distro or, or favor one 
or the other. So, I mean, there's, there's some going to be some of those things that are going to be hard and stone, but then I think the vast majority of it, who here knows about databases? Anybody? Ted. No, you don't count Ted. Ted, Gosh, Ted, Ted, always Ted thinks he's a database guy, but other than Ted, right. does anybody here have experience with databases? For now, Ted is the Mara DB guy. He says he can handle that. But if there's anybody that thinks, how many hours do you have? Okay. He says he has about seven minutes on Mara DB. So we need somebody that has more experience than Ted to handle databases and backend. And, um, but no, but in all seriousness, I, I really think if we come together as the community, um, we can figure out a way to okay, solve so this problem. You guys problem. are getting me excited here. Yeah. You're saying that we're going to tackle this as I think I'm saying Linux. we're going to try. Yeah. Like I think it's worth trying. News, we're thinking we're going to like, <laughs> Well, we do more than just read news, but I do think that it is, it's definitely something that we should at least give it a shot. Like, just try to see if we can, as a community. I'm pretty pumped about this. Like, we can. Well, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, let's explore and let's get, uh, you know, we, I opened the story by, by asking for the community's involvement. So let's make good on that. Michael, you, can you publish a forum post and maybe tweet out a link and put it in the Telegram, Discord, Matrix, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, Tube, all the places? TikTok. Everywhere, yeah, TikTok for right sure. Now. Everywhere, Great. awesome. Snapchat yep. me. So yeah. you're so yeah. Go ahead and get if if we can get that and we can get the forum post and then you as the community help us build this idea into something or tell us it's a terrible idea. Tell us that it's already been done and here's where it's been tried and here's that it failed and that open that that this this problem is fundamentally not solvable. If that's you, go ahead and tell us that. Don't let us make idiots out of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But if there's but but if there's if there's value here in this idea then help us build it into a reality. Yeah, so what we're saying is you would have a, let's just say a website that we would put up on Destination Linux and a developer could go there and put some information in perhaps and say, I want this tested on this type of hardware. We have a database, which is hopefully someone other than Ted creates the database that would uh, house all of the systems out there, people who volunteered to say, hey, I'm willing to test. I'm willing to install this on bare metal machines and here's the bare metal machines I have. And they could submit that, they get the feedback back from them and kind of be able to improve the quality control across the Linux ecosystem, which is really kind of closes out this news article because if people yeah. did get involved, if you're interested in this and it, and there was some interest in the past, at least from Canonical to us about using our community for this, then check out that forum post and let's see if we can get something started because I think it would be pretty exciting. To, yeah. to do something around that. And it would help get AMD hardware hopefully working better in Linux, which is <laughs> always something I'm interested in. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it sounds like we've stumbled onto like a potential awesome solution that we can maybe as a community work together to create. So we'll absolutely be making a forum thread and you can find it in a link in the description and on the show notes and anywhere else, a part of the community, I will post it everywhere. So Noah mentioned at the beginning of the show something really exciting. You've been asking for it, and we're finally ready to deliver. We're going to have a game night on Destination Linux again. We've done this in the past. It's been a ton of fun. One time Noah showed up and played, I think, his first video game ever, at least it felt like, which was (laughs) Golf with Friends. And he got a hole-in-one, I think, and literally screamed out loud like a child entering a candy store for the first time. This is the type of excitement that we have here. We're going to play four games. Most of these are free and open source games or a couple of them. Tux Cart, we're going to play, of course. you got to get some Tux Cart yeah, in course. there because it's awesome and they've done enhancements we've talked about mm-hmm. in the gaming section. Xenotic, which is the shooter. I think seeing Noah in an Unreal-style shooter is going to be a ton of fun here. I'm going to no-scope you 1v1. <laughs> Bring it, man. For sure. Bring it. We're going to have Gang Beast, which is Michael's recommendation in here. Is this like the Gummy Life game? It's like Gummy of? Life, yes. It's uh, yeah. it's kind of like Gummy Life where it's a sort of like a clay fighting game. Uh, the reason I wanted to put it in here is because it's currently in the Humble Bundle right now, so you can get it for like a significant discount, I guess. It's like uh, $10 or something. Uh, and, but, and some of that money goes to charity, which is awesome. So yeah, exactly. Gang, gang beast, go get it on humble bundle, help support a charity and get that game ready for August 30th, 4 PM Eastern. We're all terrible at time zones, So you're going to have to translate that yourself and Google to your time zone, but 4 PM Eastern. And then we're going to play the game that may Noah squeal golf with friends. Cause you've got to, right. You've got to yep, play some golf absolutely. with friends. So get those games downloaded on your machine, ready to go. Don't be a Michael, be prepared. And at 4 p.m. after Destination Linux, after our patrons come hang out with us and we do a live show, then we're going to take a little break, have some lunch. And at 4 p.m. we begin 
the gaming sessions there. So come hang out with us. It's going to be an uncoordinated mess and it will be a blast <laughs> the whole time. I'll work on my gamer smack so I'm ready to talk smack. Yes, yes for sure. Do yeah. that. Because I certainly don't know how to play games. You could use some of the hip <laughs> words I make you read at the closing of every show. To, yeah, I can uh, do that. Enhance your gaming smack. Could you this, make me a list of smack to speak? That yeah, this, this gaming night is going to be Fraggle Rockin'. Fraggle That's Rockin'. really great. Hey, maybe more... we could have... Go ahead. Okay. No, go. No, I insist. <laughs> that's, that's very nice of you we have one more game to bring up as well called camp canyonwood and because we want to highlight a game every episode not all games noah need gore and non-stop crazy action yes they scenes. do okay you're kind of right but <laughs> camp canyonwood is coming summer of 2021 so you're gonna have to wait a little bit for this one but the key is that they're making it available for linux developers have already said they're going to make this game available for you so go and add it to your wish list when you're on your linux boot not when you're dual booting like michael and you're in windows don't add it to your wish list there because if you do that then they're going to think more windows people want the game if you're in linux and you add it to your wish list from steam then they know that you're wanting it in linux so make sure you do that but this game is build and manage summer camp of your dreams or nightmares a life sim about the great outdoors and since geeks don't travel outdoors this is a fantastic way through for us to experience it virtually because who wants to go outside where there's bugs and the sun and all of that in real yeah, life ew. yeah 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 you don't want to do that <laughs> no uh, you nah. protect your campers from nature which is horrible it is an hd but otherwise horrible the nature and it is the natural enemy fires bees bears and even supernatural all come to attack your campers out there so this list looks like a fun game to play yeah. with your family and uh you know i like some games that aren't all about exploding brains and gore and all that stuff. So this is a cool game. Yeah, that's that sounds really fun. I'm, I'm definitely going to put it on my wish list. Previously on the show, we covered Slash Temp and Slash Bin. This week, we're going to be covering Slash Boot. Now, the truth about Slash Boot is... You just need to know it's there. You should never really touch it. (laughs) Slash boot is exactly what it sounds like. It's where all the files are necessary for booting your system. That's why you probably shouldn't touch it unless you really have a reason to. Um, You're going to need super user privileges to do anything there. There's also some minimum size uh, requirements when you're creating that partition, as well as it's important never to encrypt the slash boot partition. You want to let the computer boot so that grub can load and all of those things. Uh, depending on your distro, how you write changes to that directory is going to change a little bit. Uh, a lot of them, you'll have to interact directly with Grub. Uh, some some distros are going to have config files inside the distro that you can modify, and then it will have a process for writing out to Grub. So it all kind of depends on your distro. Um, but a slash boot is where the files are to boot your system, and you'll want to be extra take extra care to make sure never to mess anything up in there. I mean, I got to give you a little bit of advice here, Noah. Uh, we are in the Linux community where we're full of hackers, and I guarantee you uh-huh. 80% of uh-huh. the Linux community, because you said yes. you shouldn't go modify files in the right. boot, are <laughs> yeah. now all going to modify yeah. their slash. If you want to if you yeah. want to start with something that's a little dangerous, I, I see what you're saying. You want to get your feet wet. You want to experience some danger. You want to, all right, here, play with fstab, slash etsy, slash fstab, and open that file up. This is what's going to start uh, telling your computer what devices to mount. So this is where you'd add things like NFS shares. It's where you would add uh, external partitions if you've created them and stuff. Start playing uh, in there because what it'll allow you to do is uh, you can add other hard drives or other partitions or add some encrypted space and kind of play around with your system. It will it will break the system if you're not careful, but there's an ability to recover. So if you want to play with something a little bit dangerous, I still wouldn't suggest playing with Slash Boot. <laughs> Start with FSTAB. That's a great way to screw yourself over where you can at least recover from. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. All right, before we get to the software spotlight, I want to take a quick note. The patrons have been asking in the chat about doing shell shock. More like and, yelling. Yeah, more, more like, like yelling. yelling. There was a lot of yell, a lot of exclamation points have been used. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely want, we want to talk about shell shock. We're going to say that they, they've been asking for this game to be included in the game night. And that we just want to let you know that we are going to include shell shock in the game night. So Wait, I thought this was a dictatorship. I thought we should tell them, no, you can't have what you want. No, we, we were actually very nice. Apparently uh, it's, it's because of my weak thumbs. That's why we don't want to, you don't want to you're weak. be, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're oppressing our patrons with your weak thumb and they were able to win. So <laughs> yes. shell shock is on the game menu. Make sure you download Shell Shock. It's an awesome tank-destroying battle game where you shoot people. Noah? Yes, yeah. this is great. I'm all in. When are we playing? August, August 30th. 30th. <laughs> there we go. What time? 
4 p.m. Eastern. I'm so glad Perfect. you asked. I'm there. Hey, look, it's available in my calendar. Perfect. Nice. Perfect. All right, so so the software spotlight this week is Proton Mail Bridge. So Proton Mail Bridge is an application for paid users that run uh, your on your in, in your computer that run in the background and seamlessly encrypts and decrypts your mail as it enters and leaves your computer. When I say pay, paid users, I'm talking about people who are paying for Proton Mail, and it allows for full integration with your Proton Mail account with any program that supports IMAP and SMTP, such as uh, Mozilla Thunderbird and a bunch of other stuff. So if you want to check it out. Uh, you can, we'll have a link in the show notes for Proton Mail Bridge. So a huge thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening to Destination Linux, especially these beautiful faces here with us right now, our patrons who yelled and screamed at us to add Shellshock in, and we listened because we don't want a, them to have a mob and, and come get us. So if you <laughs> want to become a patron and listen to all the unedited parts of the show, all the additional banter, you can do so by going to destinationlinux.org. You get unedited versions of the show as well. So you can, if you're not able to watch the show live, you can go back and watch all of this. It's just an awesome thing. And you get to troll Michael and watch us um, troll him. And troll Ryan that, and troll Noah what, if you want wait, to. what? Yeah, no. you can do those too. No, what's, those what's, two are not options. Those are premium perk <laughs> options. They require a Patreon subscription, $250 or more. If you want right. to troll yeah. Ryan and I both at the same time, that's a $500 minimum subscription. No, like that's, yeah. no, Michael, that's, that's just not a dollar. Michael, you get for $1 per month. That is not how that works, but uh, but works. it is actually something you want to do because there's actually there's a lot of content in between different segments that we do, and sometimes we have to cut it for time or just because it's so ridiculously silly. And like this episode has a lot of that, so you definitely want to go yeah. to uh, destinationlinux.org and slash contribute to find out how to be a part of the patrons. Uh, so also you want to do is you want to get some DLN swag because we have quite a lot of it. We have like... I. Ryan is showing off the Ask Noah show. You can get that as a shirt. You can also get the active sitting shirt that I'm wearing. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff in the store. So go to destinationlinux.network slash store, and you can get stuff like T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more coming soon as well, including stickers. I will go ahead and tell you, stickers are coming very soon. You want to know what a winner, winner, chicken dinner feels like? Then join the DLN community. They have the DLN discourse <laughs> forum, which will have you feeling hinged on all things Linux. If you're not Shylock and want a more interactive chat, come hang with us in our interactive Telegram group. Finally, if you want to get some cabbage from work, that what I what I don't even understand. I don't, I don't understand. know. But, hey, listen, here's what you should do: you should go to DLN cabbage Discord from. You should be on that. Cabbage you should be on Telegram. You should be on all of the things. And if you don't know where all of the things are, then you should go to destinationlinux.network because all of those resources are there. But basically, the way that we have set this up is we're on all the platforms. So just show up to one of them and help us help you. Help us connect with you. Connect with us by helping us help you. I need to help you out here, Noah. Um, the the what you were supposed to say is finally, if you got some mad cabbage from work yes. this week okay. and oh. picked up some sweet games, head yeah. to the deal in Discord server. Cabbage yeah. is what the kids these days call cash. I see. Yeah. yeah. So since the audience is like five times smarter than we are, we probably just tell them that there's Discord server and they probably they know that Discord is not be really a server, but, it's just but, all one service. I love so how Ryan has been trying for weeks Discord. just to get to the point where Noah just gives up and goes and we finally found it. It's cabbage. The cabbage <laughs> if you're not Shylock and want some interactive chat, then hang out with us in our telegram group. Oh, finally, now he's if you doing want it. Some cabbage from work this week. Mad and picked cabbage. up some sweet gate mad cabbage. Listen. Perfect. I think it's time that they. I think this. This. I think it's time we talk about destinationlinux.network. Yeah, exactly. So we've got some a, a more great content that's uh, too legit to quit. If you remember from last time that we have, so go to destinationlinux.network and you'll find all sorts of open source goodness from podcasts, YouTube channels, and so much more. Be sure to do to do, go to destinationlinux.network. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as great as the destination. Thanks everyone. Thanks. See you next week. Mad so cabbage was the trigger word for Noah. He was like, <laughs> I'm done. I'm just doing myself. I'll do it live. <laughs> Mad cabbage. Man, come on. Uh, man, you, you gotta get down with the young You are just today. fraggle rocking this thing so well. I, you know, what can I say? How are you going to connect when, with your children if you don't know cool words like When it comes like to rocking and fraggling, there's no one that can do better than I. Patrons, My children if, don't fraggle rock. If you want to join us, you, he's you, gonna, can, he's you can turn your microphone, microphone and cameras on and everything. Join us in the post show. I guarantee Who you he's going to go downstairs. says, cabbage!
Nobody! <laughs> oh, come on, computer kid. You don't Fraggle Rock, that's why. We're trying to connect. That's because he doesn't Fraggle Rock. He doesn't know how to Fraggle Rock. If he Fraggle Rock, he would use Cabbage. Sure. Yeah. Sure.